Open us to your love. May your Holy Spirit move among us in this place as we consider your wisdom for our lives. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to make an intentional transition from that, those words about stewardship to the gospel lesson for this morning. And for this opening illustration, this transition, I'm going to need to borrow some money. So, so I need somebody, somebody who has some cash money. It doesn't need to be a whole lot, but uh, more than five bucks would be helpful. Who's got some money I could borrow for a moment? Jim? Great. Okay, that's all right. Uh, you got some other bills in there. Come on, get, get, uh, Jim. You and I are friends. Get, come on, come on. Pony, pony up here. Give me, a, give me a couple more. All right. All right. So uh, thank you, Jim. Um, and what I'm going to do with this—that's all right. I'm just, I'm just going to pick on Jim. That's all right. What I'm going to do with this is um, I'm going to give this to Chip, and then. Well, David, here, thanks, because you were so nice to offer, I'm going to give some to you. Um, and, and that's it. Um, so, Jim, how does that make you feel? <laughs> For the time? Okay, well, what if we're done? Would you like your money back? Well, no, but forget we're, forget we're in church. I just, I just took your money indiscriminately and just sort of handed it out. Would you like your money back? Yeah. Take it all in your... No, this isn't about pledge. This is a, this is a sermon illustration. Be honest with us, Jim. You want your money back? No? You're making this harder for me. No, okay, okay. So, uh, so Hope says she wants her money back. Okay. So let's have... I'm sorry, who did I give it to? So Hope says she wants her money back. So I'm going to go ahead and give it back to you. And thank you for your willingness to go along with this. And the the reason that I want to point this out to you, I was in this workshop several weeks ago with uh, Bishop Douglas Miles. He's a wonderful pastor from Baltimore. And he did this exercise with us and handed our money around and, and, and noted that you know most of the time, if somebody were to take a pile of money from you and just indiscriminately hand it around... Um, you would object to that. You would want it back because you pay attention in large and small amounts to what people do with your money. You care about that. You're, you're mindful of it. It matters. And, uh, and the thing that he then pointed out that was convicting is that most of us don't think quite the same way about our time. And people do with your time week in and week out, what I just did to Jim. People take time from you. They'll take as much time as you'll give them, and, they'll, uh, and you distribute it out to all kinds of, of little things. Um, sometimes it's uh, among people that you know. Sometimes it's perfect strangers who want a piece of you because they want to sell you something. They want you to volunteer for something. They want you to do something for them. And we fairly indiscriminately give out our time in that way, and then what happens is that we get to the end of a day or a week 
or a month or a year, and we end up saying to ourselves, how did I wind up not spending enough time on the things I really care about? The things that really matter to me. What, what happened? What happened to all of my time? You see, we're, we're not, uh, most of us aren't as disciplined or discerning as we'd like to be with our time. We're not as discerning as we'd like to be about how we're spending our time and whether or not it's on the things that really matter to us. Now, some of our time commitments are not very negotiable. We have to do some things like run errands and pay bills and keep a household. They may not be the most important to you, but they've got to get done. But we also get trapped in things like dealing with difficult people or struggling with bureaucracy. We spend too much time shopping online or consuming social media. And things like these and many, many others absorb a tremendous amount of our time. Upsetting our whole schedule may be impossible, but most of us, if we are willing to make some tough choices, most of us can make some adjustments toward treating our time like the valuable asset that it is and focusing on things that matter. We can tilt the balance of our time in favor of the important things, and in doing so, we can move our lives toward greater meaning and purpose. And that journey toward greater meaning is what this sermon is about. The story we heard this morning is about two people who go up to the temple to pray. I don't find either one of these characters totally appealing. First, there is a Pharisee. Now, to be fair, Pharisees often get a bad rap in church, but they were highly thought of in their own time. You see, Pharisees were Jews who made serious commitments to their faith. They tried to follow all of God's laws. Not just the laws about ritual, but the ones about kindness and justice and generosity. What's more, Pharisees were not power players in the temple. Theirs was a Judaism that was mostly lived out in the home and the community. They did not only care about religion while they were praying, they tried to live it out. Well, sometimes that kind of living leads to pride. And that's what's going on with the Pharisee in this story who prays, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income, he prays. And before we pass our own judgment on this judgmental character, consider the ways we sometimes think like him. We may not like to admit it, but it is only human to sometimes sit in church a bit self-satisfied. Lord, I thank you that I am not like other people. My next-door neighbor who is playing a round of golf right now rather than attending worship. My friend in the other political party who does not understand your will for our nation. I am here most Sundays. I pledge, 
I volunteer. It is surprisingly easy to slip into pride. So we don't like the Pharisee in this story, but if we are honest, most of us understand him. But aside from the contempt he has for other people, the Pharisee's real problem here is that he has no use for God. He has no use for God. He is under the mistaken impression that he has built up some kind of credit in heaven because he has done the right things. And that assumption gets voiced in his prideful prayers. Prayer is not supposed to be a recitation of our accomplishments. It is supposed to be an exercise in trust. A handing over of our lives to God. Then there's the tax collector. He has gone up to the temple with a different kind of prayer. It says that standing far off, he would not even look up to heaven, but he was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Tax collectors in the Bible, you may remember, are not equivalent to people in our own time who work for the IRS. They were not bureaucrats. They were thieves. Tax collectors in the Roman Empire were traitors to their own people. The Romans hired indigenous people in conquered lands to collect taxes. Rome told them what the empire was owed, but they gave no guidance about how much should be collected. So tax collectors got rich by extorting whatever the extra they could in the name of collecting it for the empire. When Jesus introduces this character, we are supposed to have a really bad opinion of him. And instead, we find him humble and regretful. So we are sympathetic to him. And so is Jesus in the way he tells the parable. I would add that if we think hard about it, I wonder if we are a little suspicious of this tax collector. Think about the crookedest and most disreputable person you know in our own culture. A gangster, a drug dealer, a Ponzi schemer, a human trafficker. Someone who profits from the misery of other people. What would you think if you caught a glimpse of that person in humble, regretful prayer? Surprised? Probably. Curious, maybe. Probably a little bit curious about how serious he is. Will his prayers change his future action, or will he pray over his regrets but continue to behave badly? In reading this story, I was struck by something these two very different people have in common. They are both going up to the temple to pray. We have a Pharisee whose credentials are flawless, but his attitude stinks. And we have a tax collector who everyone knows is a scumbag, but he's trying to turn things around. What they both have in common is where they are 
and what they're doing. They're praying. They are making the most valuable investment any of us can make with our time. They are spending their time with God. Whenever you spend time with God, you place yourself in a vulnerable position. When you pray, you don't know what God might say back. So I would suggest that even the Pharisee may reap something good from his miserable prayer. Both of these characters are thinking about the opening illustration and what it's supposed to mean. They are paying attention to their time. And they may find themselves leaving behind misuses of their time so they can spend more time on things that matter. You might say that this is the essence of the journey of faith. Leaving regrets behind to follow Christ, to follow the one who knows how to live a life that matters. This is what people do in the Bible when they follow Jesus. They leave behind distractions in favor of following one who gives them a life that matters. The Scottish songwriter John Bell writes about this. We sung one of his songs this morning in fresh spirit. It's called Sing Hay for the Carpenter. And it says what people do when they leave behind some part of their life to follow Jesus. Sing hey for the carpenter leaving his tools. Sing hey for the Pharisees leaving their rules. Sing hey for the fishermen leaving their nets. And the last line of the chorus sums up what the song is really about. Sing hey for the people who leave their regrets. Leaving your regrets behind. The regrettable ways that you wish you had done something different with your time, your money, your behavior. God is calling us away from those things and toward a more joyful, abundant life. That's what being a follower of Jesus is about. Both of these prayers in this story, both of them have something to learn. The Pharisee must stop trusting himself and lean into God, lean into trusting God. The tax collector must leave behind his regrets and change his living. Both of them are leading lives in which they are deeply stuck. And both of them are invited to follow Christ and to discover a life of freedom. We all have demands on our time that are beyond our control. That's true. Faith is a journey, a journey toward a life of greater balance. Faith is about attending to things that we must do while centering our lives in things that are most important. This balance is not just about keeping a lid on the silly things that can eat up our time. It's about finding more depth of meaning in the time-consuming things that can be hard, that can frustrate us. Being a parent 
dealing with the demands of a career, caring for someone who is aging. There is sacredness in this work, deep sacredness. But some days we have to look hard to find it, and that too is part of the balance to which God calls us. It is a balance that is only found in life's journey if we follow the one who knows the way. The songwriter I mentioned, John Bell, he's a great poet. Here's how he talks about the journey in the verses of that song. I'm going to read the verses to you. Jesus is the speaker. I invite you to listen. Come with me. Come wander. Come welcome the world. Where strangers might smile or where stones may be hurled. Come leave what you cling to, lay down what you clutch, and find with hands empty that hearts can hold much. Come walk in my company, come sleep by my side, come savor a lifestyle with nothing to hide. Come sit at my table and eat with my friends, discovering the love which the world never ends. Come share in my laughter, come close to my fears. Come find yourself washed with the kiss of my tears. Come stand close at hand while I suffer and die, and find in three days how I will never lie. Come leave your possessions. Come share out your treasure. Come give and receive without method or measure. Come loose every bond that's resisting the spirit, enabling the earth to be yours to inherit. Is either the Pharisee or the tax collector following Christ completely? Probably not. Both of these prayers have something to learn, and both of them have something to build upon. The Pharisee must humble himself and let go of his contempt for others, but he is on a journey because he is praying. The tax collector must leave behind his regrets and change his living, but he is on the journey for he trusts God. Both of them, both of them are taking the time and the risk to listen for what God may be saying to them and to have their life's journey reshaped by the God who loves them. What will they hear? How will it change them? When you stop to pray, when you stop to pray about how you are spending your time, your money, your life, your gifts, what do you hear? What might your prayers teach you if you listen to God's voice? If you decide to leave behind your regrets and follow. <laughs>